how he restores us. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5 uh, and some stories of how Jesus restored people, of how Jesus healed people. This text got me thinking this week about what it's like to be on the outside. Most of my life, I've been on the inside. Uh, did well at school, captain of a football team sort of thing. I realize it can be hard for me to understand or to relate to people who often feel like they're on the outside, like they don't feel like they fit in. Or maybe even worse, like nobody even wants them around. One of the few times I've felt on the outside uh, was actually when I was in college. A lot of my friends were Hawaiian. And you can imagine I look nothing like my Hawaiian friends. And so being so pale compared to them, sometimes I'd get the jokes about being white. I remember one time I was uh, actually doing a term in Hawaii with, and staying with one of my friends. And we went to visit some of his family in a part of Hawaii. And it was all Hawaiians. So I was the only white guy there, and they started talking about Howley's uh, white people and their frustrations with them and yelling at something about, you know, all sorts of things. And then they look at me and they say, oh, but not you, of course. So I have had some experience of what it's like to be on the outside looking in. I started thinking something about this week about what does Jesus say about the outsiders, about the people who feel like they don't fit. Some of you might know what it's like to be an outsider to not fit in, maybe to not fit in our society or to fit in a group where you wish you were a part. Maybe some of you might even feel like an outsider in this church, even though you've been coming for a long time. Maybe you're wondering, too, what does Jesus say about what it means or what it is to be an outsider? The ostracized, the scapegoat, the minority, the people who feel like they don't fit in. I'm grateful for the word of God gives us this refreshing, this life-giving new perspective on God's love for us, especially when we feel like we're on the outside. If you would uh, pray with me that we would, the Holy Spirit would guide us as we hear God's word this morning. Lord God, we pray for your help. Holy Spirit, please guide us as we read your word. Speak to us again. Help us to understand who you are, Lord, that we might follow you more faithfully. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So if you would, uh, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verse 12. It's also going to be up here on the screen as we work through this passage. So it begins like this. Verse 12 says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along uh, who was covered with leprosy. So leprosy is not a common disease anymore, especially in the, in the West, especially here in North America. But it was a big deal in Jesus' day. Is a generic word that was used for all sorts of skin disorders. Some that were infectious, some that weren't. Um, but basically, if you were labeled a leper, you were an outcast. You were kept outside of the community. Uh, Leviticus chapter 13 reads well. It says, or explains this well. It says, the people with such an infection, sorry, with an infectious disease, must wear torn clothes. So you must wear torn clothes. Let, the, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. This is what you were supposed to do if you were determined to be a leper. Can you imagine that? You have to wear torn clothes. You have to let your hair grow and be all messy. You have to go around yelling, unclean, unclean, wherever you go. Leprosy meant that you were alienated from people, 
first of all, it was medical. I mean, there was a sense that if there's especially certain types of like leprosy, actual leprosy, uh, are contagious. And so they wanted to keep you or help, or they wanted you to keep from infecting other people. So there's a medical reason for it. But also there became social reasons for it too, or social, as, or social repercussions. Some of it, uh, leprosy was awesome, off, excuse me, leprosy was all, often, I'm saying awesome, often viewed as punishment for sin, whether in your family or in your own life. So if you were a leper, people kind of began to assume that you must have done something wrong to deserve this. That begins to create all sorts of other problems where you become a scapegoat. You're a minority in the group, and people start looking at you as the problem. They start hating you or disliking you or looking down on you. Not only that, not only were you alienated, <clears throat> but you weren't allowed to be touched by anyone or touch anyone. Can you imagine that? To not be touched by anybody. To be forbidden. Or if you were to accidentally, for people to react so violently to it. For people to, in a sense, act like they hated you because of the disease you had. So not only does leprosy separate you from people, it also was very difficult to survive. Uh, in terms of um, providing for yourself. Lepers couldn't just have a normal job because they couldn't touch stuff and hand it to people. And so they were often had to rely on the generosity of others. They were often begging for more, for money, needing help. And to add to all of this, to add to all the social implications of having leprosy, there were also spiritual things as well. For one, it says that you were unclean. And they didn't mean medically, they meant spiritually, unclean. That you had uh, a disease that you couldn't get close to God. So you couldn't participate in the temple, the festivals. You couldn't even go to the synagogue to hear the word of God. There was this persistent message that you can't get close to God because of your disease. And it would be really easy to begin to think or for people to begin telling you that not only could you not get close to God, but actually God didn't want you. That because of your disease, you could begin believing or begin telling yourself or maybe even people telling you that God didn't want you. Now it's amazing that this leper <clears throat> came to a town where Jesus was. So he's not supposed to be there. He's not supposed to be in the town with other people. Not only did I mean he risked rejection of people, you know, saying, I'm sorry, you can't be here, which would be pretty painful. That'd be the best case, though. Worst case, people could run him off, beat him, chase him away. He risked all of this to come see Jesus. And it says that when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, this guy is at the end of his rope. Luke doesn't say how long he's been a leper. It could have been for years. Can you imagine going for years without touching anybody? Except maybe other lepers if you were in a leper colony. Can you imagine what it would be like for everybody to look down on you because of the disease you had? To everybody assume that somehow you deserved it, whether you did or you didn't. And you just contracted it. So this guy comes <clears throat> and he sees Jesus as his last ditch hope. He comes before him and he falls with his face to the ground. Now, we don't do this very much in our day anymore. 
But in Jesus' day, if you came to someone who you wanted to show respect to, you might kneel in front of them like a person in front of a king or a priest. But this guy is so desperate, he comes and he falls all the way to the ground, his face to the ground. That's as low as you can get, humbling himself before Jesus. He collapsed in front of him. And the text says he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. <clears throat> and it's interesting here that he uses this word, Lord. Now, as I've read other commentaries and New Testament scholars, they say, you know, Lord could be used. Uh, oftentimes people might use Lord as a way, like saying, like, sir, like to show some respect. But I can't help it. Whenever I hear someone who refers to Jesus as Lord, usually in the New Testament, usually in the Gospels, I think they mean more than sir. I think that this leper, this man, sees Jesus more clearly than everybody else around him. And a lot of people who were following or who were following Jesus or one somewhere, they thought he was a great teacher or an amazing prophet, maybe even like a miracle worker. But this leper calls him Lord, which in Israel at the time, there's only really one person you call Lord, and that was Adonai. That was the Lord God. And here's this man calling Jesus Lord. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And there's an interesting point here. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It's interesting because he doesn't ask, you know, if you're able to make me clean, please do it. He knows, he has faith that Jesus can heal him. That Jesus can not only heal his disease, but bring him back into life, into community. Back into a right relationship with God. All of these things together, if he heals him. This leper knows it's not a matter if Jesus is able, but whether he will do it. Thankfully, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking like, wait, what? Jesus reached out his hand and touched this man with leprosy? Do you know what that would mean for Jesus? I mean, one, he might contract leprosy himself. At very least, he has become ritually unclean in his society. But everybody who saw him do that, they would say, oh, no, no, Jesus is unclean. So he has to go through all these steps, wait all these days before he can become clean again. And yet Jesus still touches this man, reaches out and touches him. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Can you imagine what that would feel like as a man who hasn't been touched maybe in years to come to Jesus, to fall on the ground in front of him and to feel his hand touch him and hear the words Jesus say I am willing now some have wondered you know why does Jesus touch this guy you know why does he break the law here I think he does it because he's God I think Jesus does it because God chooses who is clean and unclean and he says this man is not unclean to me and he touches him. Then Jesus says, I am willing and be clean. Jesus has the power to heal him and make him clean. 
Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. One time when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he said, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. But if we want to know what God is like, we watch Jesus. Jesus is our clearest picture of who God is and how he acts. Last week we were talking some about uh, the last chapter of Joel, chapter 3. And it talks about a valley of judgment when God will judge people. He will bring justice to those who have exploited his people, those who have been unjust. God will bring justice. But as we see here, God is also amazingly gracious. God is amazingly gracious. Did you know that in the Gospels, Jesus never turns anybody away? I can't think of one story where a person comes to Jesus and says, please heal me, and he says, I'm sorry, but no. Never once does he say, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, but I don't feel like it right now. Never once does he say, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but you don't deserve it. Never once does Jesus say that. He always heals. This is a tough thing as I think about this in the Gospels. Because in my life, times I've prayed to God, sometimes he doesn't seem to answer the way I want him to. Sometimes he doesn't heal. When I was a teenager, my parents were in a car accident. And my dad spent months in the hospital before he died. And I remember praying, Lord, please heal my dad. But in the end, he died. A couple of years ago, my wife Tracy was diagnosed with cancer. And I was praying, Lord, please heal my wife. And she is. She is cancer-free. She's one of the healthiest people I know. In both of those cases, totally different outcomes, I still see how God was growing my faith. How God was growing me up as a person, relying on him. It's hard to make sense of why does God sometimes heal and why does he sometimes not. Especially in the Gospels when Jesus always heals. It's a tricky question. But in this case, Luke tells us, and immediately the leprosy left him. Now, Luke says immediately, because I think that's an important detail. Because sometimes we'd want to explain it away. You know, like, oh, he healed him. I'm sure, like, you know, Jesus said something, and then and a few months later, his, his, his symptoms were resolved. It doesn't say that, actually. Luke says that his leprosy was healed immediately. He's trying to show us, or make the point, that there wasn't just some natural process. This is actually God at work. This is the kingdom of God breaking into human history here. And this leper, who had been possibly years with this disease, separated from people, unable to touch them, an outcast, has been healed. Luke wants us to see that Jesus is more than just a great teacher. He wants us to see that he is the Messiah. That he is the Savior, the Son of God. But it does raise a good question for us. What do we do with seemingly unanswered prayer? Especially prayer for healing. I had this interesting situation in my own life the last few months. In 
this winter, like around January or so, I foolishly asked, Lord God, please help me to be more reliant on you, to depend on you more. You know, thinking like that, I, I feel like sometimes I'm too independent. Sometimes I do my own thing, and I'm halfway into it before I even ask, Lord, what did you want to do with this? And so I foolishly said, Lord, please make me more dependent. And so this spring actually injured my knee, um, which for me is kind of discouraging because I'm a pretty active guy. I love to hike and do those things. And so I've been praying, Lord, please heal me. Please heal my knee. But at the same time, I'm seeing how God is using this, my bum knee, to help me be more dependent on him. Because there's nothing I can fix on my own. And so I'm relying on Jesus. Sometimes I think God, uh, when we say, Lord, please help, the answer that he gives is not necessarily no, but not yet. And sometimes I think when we say, Lord, please heal me or please help my situation, sometimes I think God, his answer is actually not now because I want to accomplish something in you first. I want to grow you up through this. Not just be your big vending machine in the sky where you drop some prayers and you push the button and you get your answers out or you get your, your blessing out. Ultimately, God wants us to trust Him. To trust Him when the miracles come and we see them or when it seems like they aren't coming and we don't see Him. God wants us to trust Him. In this case, this man was healed immediately and everything was great. So then Jesus orders him, he says, Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for you for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So, it's interesting, why does Jesus tell him to tell no one? Why does Jesus tell him to go and keep it to himself and just go and offer the sacrifices and demonstrate his, that he was clean, that he was healed? I think part of it, might be for practical reasons. Jesus is trying to keep the mission focused on the kingdom of God, to keep the mission focused on why he'd come, that he'd come to save the entire world and not just, do, uh, not just to do miracles, even those are important and they demonstrate that he is the son of God. He came to do so much more. And he didn't want his ministry to turn into a circus where people are just lining up to get healed. But it also shows the humble character of God. Jesus is our best picture of who God is. And we see his humility here. But Jesus isn't in it for the fame and the recognition. Because he could have said, hey, go tell as many people as you can that I did this. And I'm going to be at the Sea of Galilee tomorrow at 12 and all week long doing healings if they want to come and praise me how good I am. He doesn't do that at all. He says, keep it to yourself. And go make the appropriate, follow the commandments that Moses had given us. Now the text says, The news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It's impossible to keep this sort of thing under wraps. This is a huge deal. This man had been healed. People around him, maybe even his family, knew that he was a leper and now that he was healed. They had given hope to people who maybe were in a similar situation, maybe other people of leprosy or other people who were ritually unclean. And they came to Jesus saying, Lord, please restore us. Please help us too. 
Then it says this here. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Here again, we get a sense of Jesus' character, of what he's like. That he's humbly seeking his Father. He's not out there drumming up support for more fame. He sneaks away and prays. Reminding us that even Jesus need to remain, needed to remain spiritually healthy to continue to be a blessing to others. That we too need to keep coming to our Father in Heaven. Keep going to Him, being filled up spiritually so that we can be a blessing to others. Throughout this passage, we see God's amazing love. That Jesus goes to the edges to this man with leprosy and blesses him. Blesses him and brings him back. Brings him back into the center. Brings him back into a relationship, first of all, with God, with his Father in Heaven. Because he's no longer ritually unclean. He's, he's, he's cured. He's healed and cured. Uh, he's healed. And so now he can go to synagogue, he can participate in the temple. As far as he can understand, his relationship with God has been restored. Not only that, but now he can gather with other people. He's been restored to community. Been restored to relationships. Jesus goes to the edges and brings him in. But in a way, he brings him in and then sends him out again. Look at this. It says here uh, it, that he goes and makes the sacrifices according to Moses as a testimony to them. The them is referring to the priests, I think given the syntax of the sentence. He's saying, go and show them what's happened in your life, the transformation that has come, as a testimony. This leper who was brought in from the outside into the people of God has been sent out again to make a testimony, to show others. This morning, we are reminded that Jesus has rescued all of us, that we've all been restored, brought back from the edge. Now, it's true that many of us have felt like we fit in most of the time. And many of you have had experiences where you feel like the odd one out, like you just don't fit. Whether you realize it or not, before faith, before our faith in Jesus, we were all on the outside of the people of God. That we were all separated from God before we began following Jesus. But now, because of Jesus, because of his grace, we have been brought into the people of God. Whether we fully understand it or not, we have been included in God's people. We have this profound privilege of belonging. Now, for some, that might seem like, oh, that's a minor. That's okay. Great. Good benefit. But for some of you, this church feels like maybe the only family you've ever had. This connection with God's people. We've been brought into the center. And once we've been restored here, our job is always to go back out and to give a testimony, to testify, to bless the people, to bless people who are on the outside and to connect with them, to invite them, to give them a place to belong as well. People in our lives who seem like they don't fit. People in our community who live around us who seem like they don't fit. To go out to those edges and to be a blessing. This passage shows us what God is like. 
shows us who God is. But even more than that, it shows us His love for us. That we too have been brought in from the margins. Every one of us have been brought in from the edge. We've been made to belong to the people of God. This is a great blessing. But it also comes with responsibility. Responsibility for us to live faithfully so that our lives are a testimony, that we would live so beautifully, our faith, that people around us would begin praising God. That the way we live would bring honor to Jesus' name, that people would say, I don't know what it is about those Christians, but man, I wish I were like them. Because their lives seem so rich, so amazing. Maybe not easy, but even in the midst of difficulty, they still seem to praise God. They still seem to have joy. That we would, our lives would be this sort of testimony. But even more than that, that we would purposely, as the people of God, go to the edges. Go to the edges of our friends, our people in our community, who everybody seems to think that they don't belong. To go to those edges and to be a blessing. To draw them in. And as much as we're able, to help them see who Jesus is. To realize that he is not just a a great teacher or a prophet, but he's actually the Savior, the Son of God. This morning, I'm realizing that we have been restored. We see in this picture God's amazing love and the fact that we've all been brought into not only a right relationship with each other, brought into community, but more importantly, into a right relationship with God. We have been restored. Amen.